As we uh, get ready to start another episode of Swing Thoughts, good to have you all with us. You know, for the longest time at the beginning of the show, I would introduce me and I would introduce Tim and, you know, we sort of explain who we were, but we're into episode 202. If you don't know by now, you know, just go, go Google some stuff. Is that, is that lazy or what? Yeah, welcome to the show. Google us. <laughs> who we are. Google it. Uh, welcome to Swing Thoughts. Uh, what a uh, pleasure to be sponsored by TaylorMade Golf. Wow. They're getting a lot of uh, talk, these stealth drivers. And we've talked a lot this uh, spring and now early summer. Uh, one of the things that's happened to both of us, you and I have had people approach, strangers, loved ones. Hey, is that the new carbon wood, they say? Yes, we answer in the affirmative. Can I touch it? <laughs> that's right. I, I actually offer it. Hey, you know, just go sanitize your hands. Uh, the stealth driver over the last 40 years... Uh, you've inspired all of the people at TaylorMade to make a lot of great drivers, but materials eventually reach their limit. And now, just like persimmon went to steel, then titanium, now it's all about the carbon wood. Learn more about stealth or schedule the fitting. That's the way we would say. Check out TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Uh, and of course, our uh, clothing supplied by JWApparelInc.com. Go check out their website. See all the finery that you can be uh, festooned in. I'm not even sure if any of those words make sense. They do, they do. And I'm I'm wearing a lovely fairway and green shirt. My wife told me it's blue. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you may, you cut a handsome image in that uh, fine golf attire. It's so nicely. I'll, I'll be very quick that I was wearing I was wearing a shirt provided to our University of Guelph golf team by by a competitor. We'll we'll not name them. But I tell you, all day I was kind of doing that thing where you kind of pull on the, the front of it and and I forgot. Yeah, fairway and green. This stuff fits. Amazing. Yeah, makes a big difference. Um, and also our latest sponsor, uh, Tim and I have been involved in this uh, for the last couple of months or so. It's uh, Precision Breathing. A lot of tour players are doing this. A lot of high-level athletes are. And now this technology is available to you. From NeuroPeak Pro, go to NeuroPeakPro.com. Join the list of people like Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, Tim O'Connor, Golf Spiritual Leader Humble Howard, and learn how you can basically, you know, take charge of how your body uh, and you can, uh, how you react, more intentional uh, breathing and unlock a better performance, NeuroPeakPro.com. Our uh, guest today, yeah, truly in the world of golf, it's, it's going to sound cliche, but it's true. Very few people listening aren't going to go, oh, I know that guy. And that guy has been a, a senior reporter and TSN's golf analyst. He's covered the sport of golf in uh, many different forms. I think actually both of us have actually, I think both of us have worked for him. I only did it once. I wrote an article for Score Golf years ago, I think. So he's paid me to write once, but probably paid you dozens of uh, articles. Of course, I'm talking about golf. Uh, golf's uh, uh, illustrious side. Uh, the Herbert Warren Wind of Canada. Exactly. That's what I was going <laughs> to uh, By way of introduction, it's Bob Weeks, everybody. Hello, Bob. Hello there. Hello there. Hello there. Glad to be on here. Yeah, what a day. What a, what a great day to have you. We're, just for everyone's uh, perspective, we're, we're recording this a day or two early. On the 21st of June, first day of summer, hot on the heels of uh, a great U.S. Open. Why don't we start there, Bob? Um, 
What were your thoughts? What do you, you were were you actually on site? I was. I was down there. Um, it's actually that was actually the site. The Country Club in Brooklyn was the site of my very first major back in 1988, the U.S. Open. Uh, Lauren Rubenstein and an, another golf writer by the name of Jim Fitchette took me under their wing. I slept on the floor in their hotel room because I didn't have a room, but I wanted to go. And uh, so it kind of brought back memories. The only thing I can remember really from that one was that the press room was in the curling club. They had a curling club at this uh, schwanky place, a three-seater. Uh, that couldn't hold, the, couldn't hold the media this time around. But I thought, um, to get back to your original question, it, 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 I thought it was very well done. I thought... Um, you know, the USGA is finally starting to get it right in course setup. Mm-hmm. I thought the course was magnificent. There was a couple of quirky tee shots, blind tee shots. Uh, I was talking to Rory a little bit at one point, and he was sort of saying, once you get used to it, it's okay, but it's still a little bit hard to figure out what's down there and trust it. But, um, but I like the golf course, and I'm, I'm hoping they'll go back there at some point, although it seems like they have their open sort of schedule between now and like 2050 or something, so I'm not sure if they can slot one in there. But uh, good championship, thrilling championship. And uh, a lot of action, you know, right on the heels of a, of a great RBC Canadian Open, two back-to-back home runs, I think, for the PGA Tour, even though the USGA is actually the one that runs the, the second one. Yeah, a lot of people said it was a U.S. Open that was needed. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, you had the drama of three of the best young players in golf, and of course that's all against the backdrop of, of live golf and all that was going there. Bob, what did you think about it in that context? Yeah, I thought the statement that was made at the RBC Canadian Open going head-to-head with the uh, the first live event was was really impactful. And I think it brought back, I know we're going to talk a little bit of live but I, um, in a bit, but I thought it, what it did was really showcase how you can have big names in golf, but you need to have something where people care about the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think anybody really watched, spent much time watching Charles Schwartzel um, win his money. I think a lot of people were into the drama of, of Justin Thomas and Tony Finau and Rory McIlroy. And the same thing again a week later at the U.S. Open. Even though the live guys were there um, playing, I, I just thought that, again, nobody was talking about it once the balls were in the air. They were Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but by Thursday and Friday we were, we were you know, talking about the golf. And I think, again, that kind of brings it back. And it's, it's really what golf should be about and what golf, I think, in the last two weeks – is about uh, no i totally agree and and, and again we're going to get to the the idea of live golf there was a big announcement again we're recording this on the 21st of june there was a couple of big stories in golf that just kind of broke this morning and um but i want to talk a little bit about the competition you mentioned 1988 that was curtis strange i believe beat nick faldo who we're going to talk about in a second in a playoff for the first of his two in a row and at that time, Curtis Strange was one of my favorite golfers. And I remember in those days that the U.S. Open was always the tournament where it was about survival. And it was more about can you get through those four days of, you know, a pretty t- a tough examination of your ability. What I really liked about this one is it harkened back to that kind of tournament where six under is a great score. You know, like... The, the fact that I don't know I don't know the the number I know Adam Hadwin was uh, finished in the top five or seven but not everyone finished under par yeah there are great it's great when you have a week where uh, what's his face won that tournament thirty four under par at the beginning of the year that's that's cute <laughs> but when you watch these guys it it, it for, I, I'm going to finish by saying in a weird way it's almost more relatable for the average player because you get to see high-level players, like we used to, struggle to make pars. 
Very much so. And I think that was the beauty of the setup was there were low rounds out there. There were possibilities out there, but you had to be very sharp and you have to, you had to earn it. If you look at Colin Morikawa, uh, was was on the leaderboard through the first two rounds and then shot 77 mm-hmm. and came back the next day with a 66. So it doesn't take much to kind of have things go off the rails. And I think what the USGA has found is a sense that we can we can have it both ways. We can have it so you are really making it difficult without going overboard and being silly like we saw at Shinnecock or a couple times at Shinnecock actually. Or you can you can have it this way where you know, the winning score is, is, is just barely under par. And um, for me, this is a little bit of a testament of what we're seeing now in terms of leadership for the United States Golf Association. Jason Gore, who was a player, was brought into the USGA to be a player liaison. He's now doing a lot of this course setup. So I think he understands what these players want to see. I think he understands how tough you can get. I think they do a lot of really good work measuring the weather, um, you know, the green speeds weren't ridiculous. They were mm-hmm. 12, yep. which I mean, by most, that's just a little faster than normal PGA Tour standards. And I think they they kept it under control. But if you, for instance, got above the hole, man, you were, you were it's like Augusta. So I really thought the course setup on this on this was exceptional and uh, and really allowed them, as you said, humble to, you know, to kind of um, get that fine margin of, of you have to play your best golf here, but if you don't, look out. Bob, we... We associate U.S. Opens in the past as, you know, grow the rough, you know, it's kind of up to mid-thigh, um, and the fairways are narrowed. What did they do here? To, you know, you talked about green speeds, but what else did they do so that the course was quite challenging? You know, first off, the rough, uh, it wasn't that deep. It wasn't as deep as St. George's had deeper rough, the Canadian Open, the week before. But the ball sat down enough, and these greens are exceptionally small. So I think they realized if you're going to come out of that, if you're going to hit it in the rough, you know, try and get any spin on that to hold these greens is going to be tough. And you saw so many times guy would land on the front third of the green and roll off the back, just mm-hmm. off the back. And now he's got a dicey shot. So uh, that part was, was I, I thought, well done. It was a sort of almost risk-reward style. The fairways were generous in spots, um, but not on every hole. And, and they, they did a good job in kind of mixing it up. And the elevation changes were so dramatic in a lot of places, except for maybe the last four holes where there used to be a horse racing track. Actually, it was pretty flat there back in the day, I guess. Um, the elevation changes also took a lot of uh, a lot of navigating, let's say. So if you were hitting into, you wanted to avoid a downslope, which would kick your ball into the left rough or the right rough. So there were a lot of kind of natural defenses on the golf course that laid out there. Um, that you really had to so in other words it might have looked like a wide fairway mm-hmm. but it really wasn't that wide because the left hand side of it was all a hill that was pushing stuff down into the right rough you, you mentioned oh go ahead the blind, Timmy. The, the blind shots is that where that's coming into play there yeah a lot of cases uh, you know 10th hole um, 15th hole there was, there was some some really 13th hole uh, the 8th hole was a par 5 that had a huge it looked like it had the biggest green on the golf course but only the front third of it was a false front and you oh, saw a lot of players. No, I know. I love that, actually. They had too much spin, you know, zipping back down. Yeah, I, I loved, in fact, it's funny. I loved uh, uh, Scheffler's reaction after he did that on Sunday and he hit his next shot and he, and he made a par. I love that. I loved that hole in particular. I was going to bring it up. But I, I, um, I want to ask him, because you mentioned uh, McElroy and you mentioned that the last couple of weeks have looked good on the PGA Tour. And when we segue into 
the live golf situation. Uh, I want to just put a pin on on what was so good about that was, as you say, it was competitive and there was an outcome and there was a consequence. Um, what is now? Obviously, everyone's been talking about Matthew Fitzpatrick and amazing. He got more speed and Sashio McKenzie, etc. What is Zill? What is Will Zalatoris? Like what? How impressive is his record in the eight or ten majors he's played? He's finished second three times. What is the vibe about him amongst the media that covers this game like you and some of the players? Uh, first off, there's a little bit of awe because if, if you watch him swing, two things I, I find. When you watch him swing, uh, he's about 130 pounds. Yeah. He looks like a horn iron. He just absolutely <laughs> gets every piece of, of body and muscle into every shot. He almost comes off the ground when he swings. It's an amazing swing to watch. I've seen it a couple of times slowed down and – um, and so that's the first part. The, the second part when I watch him is he just he just runs to the next shot. Like he just wants to hit the next shot. He's just so into golf. You can just tell he's got that youthful kind of enjoyment. He hasn't hasn't gone through the bitter stages <laughs> right. that we've all gone through. His old <laughs> that's right. He's not he, wounded he and scarred like the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He loves to play the, the game and you can see that. Um, I think the main vibe from some of the players that I talked to were, were just how amazing he is and how ridiculous it is that he hasn't won not only a major, but anything he's been in the yeah. hunt. I mean, he's, he's one, one uh, runner up finish away from the silver slam, as we call it in the majors, but, uh, but he'll get there and he'll start, he'll start winning. And, um, you know, people like to say, well, once he wins, once he'll win the bunch. But uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt that this guy's going to win a whole bunch of tournaments and it, it could start as early as this week. But boy, what an, an amazing youth movement there is in golf right now. Um, you know, Scheffler, obviously, um, Fitzpatrick. Um, what do you think this does for golf when we have um, guys like that showing up, giving her? I mean, they're so they're so appealing. They're so easy to root for. You know, what, what does that do for golf? I mean, that's a big question, but I'll, I've asked it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, first of all, it's just great to see new talent coming up all the time. And, you know, we're, we're sort of lots of semi or non-golfers say, well, what's going to happen after Tiger leaves? Well, Tiger's basically left. You know, he's going to yeah. play a little bit more. But you've got all these new uh, heroes coming up or these new stars coming up. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing it also shows you is how quick – a guy can go from being almost unknown to being one of the favorites out there, right? I mean, Scotty Scheffler didn't turn pro until 2019. He's now number one in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Torres is, you know, two years removed from the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, and and that, I know we're going to get into live. I keep coming back to it. But no, we're going to get into it now, so you can just start okay. if you want. Yeah. Just go, just one go of the things, One of the things that I like, you know, people these these big names are going over to the to the live tour, and, and guys are saying, well, where's, you know, where are our stars going to be? Well, Wait, wait six months. You know, yeah. here's a guy who's, you know, Scotty Scheffler's won four times, five times. Sam Burns has won four times. I mean, these guys just have the ability. They're ready. First of all, they're ready to win when they come up. Guys like coaching like you, Tim, you know, you're bringing these guys along and all of a sudden they just blossom. And uh, it's once they get out on tour and have the ability to kind of play it in there, they, they can do it. Bob, if you will, why don't you continue? Because, again, I, I, let's introduce this topic now because there's a lot of tie-ins. I, I, I remind everyone we're recording on the 21st of June. Brooks Kepka has basically confirmed what I thought when I saw his press conference. He looked like he was being grilled by the January 6th committee. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? I, I, I haven't thought about it. Oh, bullshit. I literally said that to my brother. I was watching that with him. I'm like, this guy is so full of shit. Secondly, I want you to know I hate Brooks Kepka. Anyway, so, but that's just me. Um, 
what about you, Bob? What are your thoughts, first of all, about the tour in general, en general, and anything specifically about Kepka and the other guys that are rumored to be going? Uh, big topic, but I, it certainly sucked a lot of the air out of the golf world in the last little while, but not much of it has been around the actual final product, which is the golf. We've only seen one event. Yeah. Um, I first got kind of a deep look at this just before Christmas last year. Um, I had a source who actually showed me what they were presenting to the players without the numbers in, in there, but he took me through their deck and walked it through. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, there are some cool ideas in here. There are some interesting things. And if you're talking about changing up the game, which has been essentially, you know, four rounds of, of, of metal play for uh, whatever, 60 years or whatever. Um, television has advanced a little bit, but not much. They had some different ideas. Not all of them have come to fruition in the first week anyway. And I thought it was kind of interesting. And, and at that point, he told me some of the names that they figured would come with them. And I was just, my jaw just dropped. <clears throat> and it's sort of coming around now. At the first, it was just sort of those uh, not quite ready for the Champions Tour players. And now you're seeing some bigger names. I think it's a really created a divide between those players who want to stay loyal to the PGA Tour, who maybe are have troubled with the morality and where the money's coming from, and now these other players. And um, I don't know. It's I guess it, it's it wouldn't be a choice that I'd want to make. I don't. I know what I would. I know what I would do if it came to me. Depending on what the amount was, of course, but. I, I can also see if you are Dustin Johnson and someone says, I'll give you $125 million. Um, how much do you need, I guess, is what Rory's response has been. And that would be my response too. But so far, the biggest takeaway for me has been two biggest takeaways is they're getting some big players and they're going to get more from what I hear. Uh, you know, we hear Brooks. We're probably going to hear Abraham answer this week. And if what I heard last week is true from a couple of good sources, there's going to be a few more, say, top 25 players go before the next event, which is next week. Um, on the other side of it, again, the actual golf to me doesn't seem to matter yeah. yet. That's the biggest issue. Well, if I may, Tim, take a turn. Um, I, I, we could talk morality of the source of money, but hey, we all watched the Chinese Olympics. We all watched the Olympics from China. We watched them from Russia. I could tell you there are 23 sponsors of the PGA Tour that do billions of dollars worth of commerce with the Saudi government, etc. But I don't want to have that discussion. What I'd like to have is this discussion. To me, and I watched all three rounds, a little bit of all three rounds of the Lib competition. I don't think it's apples to apples. What makes golf compelling, at least for me and maybe you two, is the is the is the trying to perform to make to make money or to, to, to trying to perform to get ahead. When there's no cut and there's no consequence to playing poorly, that removes a big element of golf for me. So what I think will happen, and, and I would actually I'll predict this. I don't think they're going to continue with a 54-hole no-cut events. I think they're going to eventually go to a 72-hole format 
with a cut because I think the formatics of the teams and the they're all in the golf course at the same time it's just a bit too wonky part of the problem is you know if you and Tim are starting on an easy par 5 and I'm finishing on a, the toughest hole in the golf course we're not playing the same yeah they, their whole thing is well we're all playing at the same time yeah but we're not all playing the holes in the same order so that you guys get to finish on a short par downwind par 5 I get to finish on the hardest hole in the golf course so I think there's some tweaking that's going to happen formatically and to me it's not the same right now it's not the same competitively what are your thoughts uh, i agree 100 percent. i think you know if you go back let's say let's go back to um the u.s open in 06 when phil was coming down the last hole and you know there's nerves on the last hole yeah. there's nerves you've seen your partner playing or even even this past week you've got uh Zalatoris and and uh Fitzpatrick coming down the last hole. All of a sudden, Fitzpatrick hits it in the bunker. Now, imagine if Zalatoris is playing, um, you know, in a different group yeah, on a well, different no, if, hole. Well, think about it. If Zalatoris is yeah. playing the fifth hole, short, a drivable par four, uh, Fitzpatrick's in the bunker on 18, it, it's, there's no, it, they're not playing the same hole. The drama is gone. Exactly. Now, I know what yeah. they've tried to do is say, okay, we're going to stack the leading groups in the last three, so they'll all kind of finish, but they're still not going to finish on the same hole. Right. So um, there's that part to it. And, and again, you know, I think you're right. I just don't, the one thing that I think a lot of people may not realize, and I'm pretty sure about this, I will, I will hedge it by saying I have been told this, but the money that these guys have been paid up front goes against their winnings. So they don't actually win any more money until they get past that. So in other words, Dustin Johnson has to, has to win $125 million, uh, plus, you know, one cent before he w- starts winning prize money. So it's almost like appearance fees. So again, as you were saying, Howard, you know what's what's the what's the drive to try and win? Like I want to win money. I want to win that more that four million dollars. But um, I just don't know if if they've created the incentive that way. That if they've built that into the the, the product they're offering. Well, the whole thing that, le- that leaves me cold is the absence of like this. It just this internal drive to succeed mastery you're competing against history all of that i have a sense that it's i don't know it's kind of like the goose that killed the golden egg uh, or however how, how that goes you can have all this money but is that the driver in life yeah you set your family up for life and and and, and for generations actually but how does that draw out what's really um, Amazing in human beings and how they rise to occasions and and deal with things. But I and I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate advocate because we sort of discuss this on the humble and Fred show a little bit and and I've been having these discussions. But I play you know well hockey players are given big contracts so are baseball players and basketball players and yet yep. they play for the glory of the championships. Like I have it, it, again, let's take politics out of it because we all. You know, we all have hedged our bets that way. And, of course, the Americans have a lot that they, they could, you know, not be proud of. But I don't have no, I have no problem with Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson or anybody getting paid a commiserate amount of money. Should they be that athlete in any other sport, $125 million to Dustin Johnson would be nothing if he was that guy in baseball. But yeah, the I prob- have no problem with yeah. the amount of money. My problem if is... Our, our sport isn't like other sports. I was having this discussion on the weekend. I said, if Rory McIlroy uh, shoots 80 in the first round of the Portrush Open and, and comes back the next day and tries his guts out to make the cut, that Friday afternoon is compelling. 
That's what we love about it, that Justin Thomas, the week after the PGA Championship, tried to make the cut and missed it. But I watched that hour, and, and that's now absent on that tour. Tim? And that's, and that's, that's very close to exactly what my point is. Exactly. Is that if it's all just about, I've got this giant pot of money, I'm set. I, I don't care how much freaking money you got. Really, that is not, that's not a driver in, it's not compelling entertainment, and it's not compelling in, in competitor. And just for people, just in terms of. Yeah, but you, what, you, we're not, we're not disagreeing. But what I said was, I understand them taking the money. That makes total sense to me. And, and I don't think I any of us. Too, but I still don't think that you could, you could. When you're playing at the highest level in, in Major League Baseball, NBA, hockey, the money doesn't mean a, a damn thing. The money doesn't mean a damn thing to Steven Stamkos right now. He's playing for pride. He's playing for his team. Okay. But, but that doesn't mean it, that. It, you can say that, but he was also given a, a, a big contract. Bob Weeks? Well, here's an indicate. You know, what I was saying before, Hudson Swafford is, is not a guy who got a big contract, relatively speaking, over there. I think he got $6 million for two years. And he said that if he finishes last in every one of the events he plays in those two years, he'll still walk away with $9 million. That's a pretty good payday for two years for a guy who, you know, probably had $2 million a year for the last two, plus a lot more expenses, plus a lot more work for it. Uh, You know, he probably played 22 events on the PGA Tour as opposed to the eight or 12, whatever they're going to do over the next couple of years on the Live Tour. So there's there's some financial sense for these guys to do that. Um, And especially for those you know, over the, the 45 year old, uh, over the hill gang. Yeah. In there. I can see for them for, for no problem at all. But if you're, if you're Taylor Gooch, that's the kind of guy that I sit here. And I, go, I say the exact same thing. I, I understood yeah. Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood. They never won a major. They said, and they don't care. They know they're not going to, I use that example too, Bob, a guy like Taylor Gooch or, and there's some rumors that it, the rumors and names I heard were Colin Morikawa. Uh, uh, oh, Adam answer. A, um, no, uh, Shoffley, I heard, is a rumor. Wow. Those ones surprise me. But that being said, the competition isn't apples to apples. My question to you, Bob, and, and maybe we can start to wrap up by saying, what happens after four years of Dustin Johnson's contract, two years of Hudson Swafford? What happens when these guys finish this run? And let's say the Saudis don't resign them now i imagine dustin johnson has the kind of contract like i don't care what you guys do in four years you're still going to be paying me after somehow but bob what happens to these players that aren't the superstars when there's live contracts end? do they come back to the pga tour uh i don't think the pga tour wants them back and so now you're and now now the you know the wild card right now which i won't go into too deep but is the the european tour the dp world tour because there's talk that the saudis may just buy that whole tour outright and I know it's not in the most financially great straits but you know other than that your options are either retire and count your money or yeah. you go and play on the Asian tour and uh, if you're if you're living in Kansas do you want to spend your uh, your year exactly. traveling through Vietnam and Thailand and yeah. all those places I don't think so but it's also interesting too is that some of the guys who have gone over I think the PGA Tour is saying Good riddance we're glad <laughs> yeah. to be rid of you Bryson you're a pain Patrick. in the ass I agree Timmy Patrick Reed and his family. I mean, I mean, it was really interesting how after they gone, Golf Digest did this whoa takeout and how and they just detailed all the nonsense that Bryson had done and how the Reed Reed's family had put. I mean, not his mom and dad, obviously, but you know, and and, and the same with uh, same with Brooks. 
A lot of people say, yeah, Brooks never liked you anyway. Yeah, I, so I, 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 if I never see Brooks Kepka hit another golf ball, I, I'm fine with it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, and you can go back and listen to the show. I've never liked the guy. You know, part of the reason is he's never been as cool as he thinks he is. And just generally being in the media, I know you guys might relate to this. When guys are like that with the media, and I've been in some of these rooms, not as many as you two, but I, I just don't understand. We're all just, you guys are just trying to do your job. Answer the question, Brooks. You're not that interesting, number one. And I, I when I watched his press conference last week, the first thing I said is that guy is lying and he's going to that. Because he just looked, you saw it, Bob. He looked so uncomfortable. I, I was there. You know, and, you know, I've had I've had good conversations with Brooks over the years and I've had some, in, in the, mostly it's when you're you're in a, in a big room of guys that he likes to put up that kind of uh, that yeah. macho style. But uh, listen, this tour is one one tournament deep. I'll give it some 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 line to let it out and run a little bit and see yeah. where they go. Uh, but but I think you're right in saying that there's a lot of guys here that I don't know how much they'll be missed. Although they were the, listen, they they all Phil got a great reaction at the U.S. Open. Dustin got a great reaction at the U.S. Open. The only thing about Phil, I will say, is that people started after the the beer kicked in. A lot of people were yelling out, you know, betting lines for him. I said, "Hey, yo, oh, that's great! Hey, Orford, uh, six and a half rebounds. Take the over." Oh, that's so that funny. Yeah. Hey, maybe we could use this as the segue into Faldo. Yes, because. Um, it was so interesting the transformation of Faldo from player to broadcaster because I remember uh, being at the the '89 Masters when Faldo beat uh, Hoke in that playoff. He was just such a dick in the press room. <laughs> yeah. His answers were so terse. Uh, I'm not sure which presser it was after he won. He said to the media, "I'd like to thank you from the heart of my bottom." Yeah, yeah, I and uh, Mr. Classy Nick. Faldo, but um, I guess it's in the news now that he's uh, he's going to retire. This is this was news to me as we were coming on. You guys yeah, gonna, shared this. What do you know, Bob? Yeah, well, he's issued a statement, so it's true. He's uh, wow. he's going to step down from the tower, and he's going to concentrate on his other businesses. He's got some course design. He's sixty five. He says he's traveled a lot. You know, stayed in too many hotel rooms, eaten too many restaurant meals. Um, I don't know if he's going anywhere else or not. We'll see. He's got a lot of businesses. He's another guy where I've had great interactions with him one-on-one. Uh, I was out for dinner with him one time when he was designing The Rock, whatever. Remember that course? Yes. Up there, yeah. course up there. Yeah. And it, it yeah. was hilarious. And we had a great time. Uh, but I've been in those same press rooms as you, Tim, wherever you sit there and go, what is this guy talking about? Who does he think he is? But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what his next step is. By the way, Trevor Immelman has been named as the uh, the replacement in the in the tower. So he's going to be the, the, the guy. I, you know, I think that's a good call. I, I, yeah. I, was, I thought it was going to either be Ian Baker, Finch, or Trevor. But I think Trevor does a nice job. I'll say oh, this really about does, Faldo. Yeah. Again, another one of my favorite players. Um, obviously, never been around him as much as you two. But I did host one of the Skins games where he was involved. And I got to tell you, he couldn't have been nicer to me. And I was around him for three days and I looked up to him and the little interaction I had, he was a very decent guy. In Golf Digest online, they're saying, uh, Faldo announces he's retiring retiring from, and then in quotations, full-time broadcasting, which leaves the door open for him (laughs) to do some part-time broadcasting for the Saudis. So we'll see. Ooh, I was just thinking. Oh, I was thinking like we'll see him at Augusta for a while. But you know, I, I always thought the Faldo was a, um, you know, in the, in the a few times I got to interact with him semi privately, if you will, a good guy. But the transformation. I thought that right now he is by far the greatest analyst in golf. I mean, he knows his stuff. He doesn't. 
he doesn't get overbearing with stats and stuff, but he's just damn funny. I just find that he's a he's he's just a he's really entertaining. And whereas I find Zinger is just overbearing with yeah. always the well, stuff about the pressure. And you know, this is a great example of we both don't have to agree because I think the complete opposite. I think Faldo <laughs> is a super cheese ball. And no, that, no, I, I don't know. But Bob, yeah. as a as a as a broadcaster, what do you think of uh, of Faldo? Um, I think they both have their styles, and I think the, there's nothing that uh, that um, that's more polarizing than if you ask people if they're a <laughs> of golf broadcaster. That's are. right. <laughs> the only guy that everyone seems to love, and, and maybe maybe not so much anymore, is uh, is uh, Faraday. Well, that's I, all I, my I, I actually also think most people agree universally that Jim Nance might be yeah. the best sports broadcaster host. I mean, he is unbelievably deft at handling the uh, the business of uh, broadcasting, as are you, Weeksy. Thank uh, you, sir. If you want to find out what's going on, follow Bob Weeks, as I do on Twitter. And, of course, you can go to uh, TSN anytime. Uh, Bob does a lot of writing at tsn.ca. Bob Weeks, thanks, my friend. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, pal. Thank you. Good, good fun. Take you're care, you're good fun. Cheers. Here's Bob Weeks. He's going to uh, let himself out of the Zoom room. Yeah, I didn't mean to step... No, I, I totally disagree with you. I think Faldo is a great analyst in terms of the game, but I think he's not... I, again, to me, that's why everyone's different. Everyone has different tastes in music and comedy, but to me, Faldo has just tries a little bit too hard sometimes. You know, I, I, love, his, I love his take on the game. What's that, sir? I, I, I grant you that. Can you not... Okay, I, may, I grant I, you that. I know I heard you. I'm just saying, I, I can't... Maybe you're not hearing... Because you don't have your little buds in today, I just noticed that. Mm. What are you? What are you hearing? Uh, the what do you got? Little speakers there? You? I got my little speaker, my Mac okay. Pro. Anyway, uh, I was always a huge fan of Faldo as a golfer, and uh, it will be. I will be sad to see him go because I do think he's a great analyst. Uh, I don't have a problem with Zinger like you do. I actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, again, I also think Zinger is a bit cheesy. But his acumen is undis you know, you can't dispute his credibility as a guy that knows the game of golf. But uh I agree. But nobody's to me, nobody's this, I mean, what's his face that works on NBC is very good too. I like him. Um What's his face? You know the main I'm sorry, I'm old man. Um Dan Hicks? Yeah, I like him. I like Dan, Dan Hicks. Hicks is good. Yeah, he's like, very good. Yeah. I like my the guy who um the guy who I really, really enjoy is, uh, oh my God. See? Uh, See? What's Finchie. his face? Finchy. Finchy. Yeah, I like I just, Ian Baker Finch. Yeah, he just has a, a lovely way about him. Yes, he does. And uh, every once in a while he gets off of funny. Not a lot. Oh, yeah. I just, just he's a, but he's just a pretty genuine guy. Um, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, it's like, you know, 10 people see a movie. Uh, one person says it's the greatest thing ever. Eight or somewhere in the middle, and one says it's the worst movie in the history of you know, no, exactly of, of movie dumb. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's interesting time in in the world of golf, and that's uh, like I said, I, I know. I, I mean, I my favorite analyst, obviously, is I've said it before, is Brandel Chambly. I don't, I don't think there's a like watching him. He's good with Paul McGinley. I think Paul McGinley is oh, very they were good. excellent, yeah, very good, really good. But but as a broadcaster, as somebody that has been. You know, speaking for a living for most of my life, when I watch how good Brandel Chambly is at the at the business of being a television presenter, obviously Rich Lerner, that's a good group they have. Lerner's oh, yeah. amazing. McGinley's very good, but but Brandel's ability to synthesize information 
is remarkable. I know he's looking down at notes. I watch a lot of the. I didn't get a chance to see a lot of the, the tournament because I was visiting my brother, but I saw a lot of the live froms. And watching Chambly analyze golf is it really is good. And he's got a problem with the Saudis. He's got a problem with not only the formatics of the new league, but his beef is with their human rights record. And I get it, yeah. but I don't totally, you know, I want to sort of tweet back at him. You know, I, I get it, Randall, but didn't 19 children in your country just get shot in the face? Like, go easy now about your, you know, the, the you know what I mean? Like, the Americans don't have a, there's, there's a lot they could not be proud of. So I don't totally... I'm not totally on board with him and his anti-Saudi human rights thing. Because, again, we just went to China for the Olympics and the Americans sent a team, etc. So my beef more is that the formatics of the new version of golf, that takes away from the spirit of it. And I think you sort of feel the same. I get it, except that I don't. What's the business case for running this running this tour? Zero. This thing's never gonna like. It's not there to make money. It's not. It. I do think that it's. It's really about. It's a propaganda machine. Oh, fa- fa- yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, it's. It's about you know, as they say, sport washing. Mm-hmm. So, if that's the only reason it exists, then I think it's it's morally bankrupt. Uh, yeah, maybe. But I think there's an argument to be made. There's lots of American businesses that do business with the Saudis. I agree. And yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. That, so that's a bigger conversation than two, you know, golf nerds like us. You know, I, I'm happy to have it. But I, for me, that's not that that's not a key because, yes, it is. They're a bad group. You know, like Phil Mickelson, they're a bad bunch of MFers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you could make that case about a lot of countries that golf has played in. Um, for me today, it's more about I don't think that's the spirit of competition. Yeah. That, that's the problem I would I, it's not my only problem but for me as a golf fan uh, watching a no cut 54 hole tournament where there are players simultaneously on every single hole that's not the golf competition I want I want to see Rory and JT and Tony Finau playing the last hole in the same group like that's mm-hmm. what we want to see and that's why I predict that at some point Greg Norman will also recognize that and change the thing formatically, I think, anyway. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because as, as I was saying with Weeksy, uh, if you're just playing for this pile of money, no. uh, I think at a certain point, you know, I got my dough. Why am I even trying here? Like, what's, what's, what's the driver? And you make a good point, too, and I, I should have, uh, I didn't mean to dispute it. Steve Stamkos, you're right. He's not thinking about his contract while he's trying to win the can- the Stanley Cup, and right now they're behind two games to one, and neither are hockey fans. To your point, so if all they're playing for in Portland next week or a couple weeks ago in London is huge gobs of cash, the fan that's not compelling to the fan because when I'm watching Tampa Bay and Colorado, I'm not thinking about how much money the players are being pl- uh, paid. Yeah. I, I- Exactly. That's my point. And that where you come back to golf, I mean, uh, Fitzpatrick is playing against the memory of, of maybe not consciously, but it's there somewhere, of Bobby Jones, yeah. Jack Nicholas, yeah. you know, Hogan, 
all this stuff and it's and, the, and there, there's there's a line that continues on that that, that it's just a, that connects us and, and and drives us forward as fans and you got to know as players that whole thing of getting your name on the trophy holy shit that's a that's huge it is huge to I these agree. guys you know and and um so i i just ha- there's an instinctual thing that goes on for me that just just around this whole thing ever since i got a whiff of it i just said this smells i don't like it yeah um you know that's one of the through lines of this past weekend was that this young man was going to be you know one of the few people in history to win both the u.s amateur and the u.s open on the same golf course you know there was those shots of him with his little brother caddying for him in 2013 uh, the U.S. Uh, amateur also Zalatoris played in that. I think Shoffley did. I mean, and there's um, or Scheffler did uh, one of the two. But there's history, and you're right that to us golf fans, I think that you know that's important. And I don't know how they're going to compete with that, just with guys making giant stacks of cash. And I, uh, I've gone back and forth with it. I, I first thought, okay, well, disruption is good, but then I sort of saw it, and I'm like, well, no, this isn't what I find compelling about golf and just think of this just the, the the thing that i watched i watched his brother and his mother watching yeah and they're going ape shit <laughs> as he made that birdie putt on 16 or something like oh my gosh and then after he wins yeah i'm crying like a baby yeah <laughs> you know the family's there like you you can't manufacture that no and that, I know. that's such a part of it is a is and and that's what happens as fans i don't care if you're watching the hobbit or you're listening to a Joni mitchell song or you're watching a major championship your own experience you're reflecting it in what you're seeing and so you know why did i have tears why because you know there's connection to dad there and everything we're there in that hug and everything it was just amazing and um there's just the, the live tour you ain't ever gonna come anywhere near close to that yeah i agree and um you know the novelty will be there i'll watch some of it Uh, it's going to be novel for a while but when that wears off just like i said to bob like what happens to taylor gooch when his two or three year contract is up um like i know those guys at the later stages of their career the polters and mcdowell's and such like i guess they don't care that they're not going to be playing the champions tour and they're not going to have a place to play beyond this live thing but again you know you know as fred and i were talking on the show like if somebody slides a piece of paper across from you that says we'll give you 125 million i i don't i have no um i don't know i would take it I'm, yeah. I'm not, I don't, I've never been in that situation, but it would be hard to turn down. I, I, I completely get that. And I also get that I have zero comprehension what it would be like to earn that kind of money and live in a house with 20 rooms and to have, um, you know, a, a collection of eight to 10 cars that includes yeah. Ferraris, Lambos, yeah, yeah. whatever. I, I can't relate to that world. So, but I also know that um, for people who are connected to that world, uh, uh, I know an instructor who's coached a lot of these guys at the top level, and uh, I don't want to. I feel like I'm throwing them all under the bus, and I don't mean it. But it's so easy for for these guys to totally lose their perspective. I mean, 
it, you just see it over and over again. And there's a, I think there's a, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or what, but I just read a review of this. There's a new, um, there's a new documentary out about a, you know, a soccer player who just. He was became a big star. He was with United. Forget what other team he was at, and just it's all about the money. And he totally disconnects with playing for his team, and his skills start to fall off, and he's not even aware of it because it's all about money. You know, you know that's a good point too, and it, and it reminds me of how many times in sports history we've seen players in other sports get the big contract, and their play mm-hmm. falls off. So, getting back to this tour, and, and Bob Weeks gave us uh, that. I hadn't heard that, that their winnings go against what they've been paid. Yeah. So well, He's a good reporter. Right? Yeah. And so, that's an interesting wrinkle to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought one of the most compelling things about golf is that whether you're Rory McIlroy or you're the Monday qualifier... You, you have an equal opportunity every week to see how good you can be in that particular you know, moment, whether it's to make the cut, whether you're, the, whether you're playing Sunday in one of the first groups, but to, you need to have a... I, I love those stories where they say, oh, this guy has got to finish in the top 25 or he loses his card. Like That's who I'm, I'm following that storyline. And, totally. and, and as we've been saying, when you take away... Some of the consequence of golf, um, it does lose something, for me at least. Anyway, I want to move on to a couple quick subjects. One is uh, Tim O'Connor and myself are playing our first team event. Mm-hmm. Um, when this came up, uh, I don't remember, it was months ago, you said, hey, there's this invitational at Saugeen, which I had to ask somebody today. <laughs> I was like, where am I going on Wednesday again? Like I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I know it's west of us and north of us. Is it is the is the name of the town we're going to Saugeen or is it the golf course? The golf course is called Saugeen. It's near Saugeen. Um but there's actually a bit of a distance between them. And I'm not exactly sure what the town is called, but it's Saugeen Golf Club. Do you know where and, we're staying? Because uh, we're staying this is gonna be great. We're gonna be staying together, we're gonna stay up late and talk about girls. <laughs> <laughs> And tell shaggy dog stories. Exactly. <laughs> and we're going to tell ghost stories. And Tim's going to have a couple of beers. Maybe Daddy will have some of his medicine. I think um, um, we're staying, and we're staying at the very lovely Motel Six. Excellent, fantastic. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to be now. So again, we're doing this on Tuesday tomorrow morning at seven thirty. I have my uh, qualifier for the Ontario Senior Am. As soon as it's over, I've got a three and a half hour drive from Port Colborne where I'm going to be to meet you so well we can talk uh, about where we're going to meet and such but then uh we're uh, playing together now is it a what is the i know the i've seen the format it's um it's a, they uh so we play nine holes as a scramble it's a 27 hole tournament uh you know what <laughs> exactly. do we do we know anything because I'm looking, it says uh, most of you will shotgun on Sunset Nine, which is a scramble. But some of you are on the Sunset on the Sunrise Nine, which is a better ball. Our Legacy Nine will be alternate shot. So it looks like it's 27 holes, which I think is going to be fun because there's a scramble, oh, yeah. um, and then there's and and that'll be uh, always an alternate shot. We'll see. That'll test our friendship. 
<laughs> totally. And, uh, not, not, uh, nothing <laughs> is harder in tournament play than alternate shot, and then a scramble is just super fun. Yeah, I, I John Gordon, uh, who you know, good great golf writer. He he always thought, you know, you know, for those couples that are just hanging on by a thread, that this goes to divorce, <laughs> you could just put them in an alternate shot event. Yeah, oh, <laughs> and that's if they funny. survive that, well, then there's some hope for the marriage. Well, I'll tell you, we're gonna. I, I'm. I, I get to be honest with you. I uh, not that I'm. I will, I'm obviously going to take it seriously, but I just love the opportunity. First of all, to hang out with you. To play, it looks like 27 holes. I love the fact that neither of us knew that. Um, <laughs> and uh, just to have some fun. And, and we're playing with some good guys. And there's going to be a lot of people there that I know that you know. and A lot of good players. A lot of good players. Tim Southcott, Larry Cooper, uh, our friend Mike Bondi. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of the guys that a play a lot of the high levels of uh, senior golf in Ontario are going to be there. That's right. And... Uh, yeah, again, I'm looking forward to it for that reason. I, to be honest with you, mainly to hang out with you. Um, oh, it'll be fun. Yeah, and, and I, it'll, you know. Be, so I guess um, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to the to the debrief. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, That's right. Thoughts. Well, I, I, uh, I know, listen, I, I've played enough golf with you to know. You hit a lot of good shots, and, you know, we've got as good a chance as anybody, especially in those formats, because... You know, we could we could sort of get on a good roll, alternate shot, and and yeah. uh, certainly in the scramble, we'll we'll be competitive. I mean, the better ball is always a you know an outlier because you know, both of us could play like shit for nine holes. But uh, I am looking forward to it. Um, and as I said, I got a qualifier tomorrow. And then I get back from Saugeen or wherever we are uh, Friday, <laughs> <laughs> wherever that is. And uh, Friday, I uh, I'm going to take it easy. Saturday and Sunday, I go for the three peat. The uh, Glen Karen Geezer Invitational. Wow. Right. I'm going yeah, for third in a row. In, uh, mine's in a couple of weeks at Blue Spring. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm defending as the uh, super senior champ. There so. you go. Yeah. And um, well, it'll be interesting next week to see how all of this shakes out. Uh, swing thought nerds. Um, I know there isn't a lot of like swing thought thoughts today, but you know, every once in a while, it's good to have a show like this. And by the yeah. way, when you said that, I sent you the video that I'm about to talk about. And when you said I had tears, did you have... Were you talking about the video or were you talking about the U.S. Open? I uh, talking about the U.S. Open. Okay. So, uh, what video did you send me? And when did you send it? I sent you a video. And that's what I thought you were talking about. It was of me and my other brother surprising David, who's been on oh, the show. Shit. I was supposed to watch this. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Sorry. Because that's why I thought you said you had tears, because I'll describe it. So my older brother, who's been a, who's a psychologist, he's been uh, on the show a couple times, I think yeah. quite recently, a couple months ago. Uh, he lives in Calgary, and he turned 70 yesterday. But this weekend, his uh, lady friend had uh, a couple months ago said, hey, we're going to do a thing for David. Would you and Stephen, my other brother... Would you guys consider coming to Calgary for a little birthday thing? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then we sort of all conspired to surprise David. Ah. Um, so I came into Calgary Thursday night. Stephen did the same. Friday morning, my brother thinks he's going to his golf course, which is a really nice place. I'd never played it before, called Canyon Meadows. Beautiful course in Calgary. So um, we got there early, got some clubs, 
In fact, I got to tell you, one, the, the people in the pro shop there were so nice to me. It's a private course, so they don't really have rental clubs. But uh, I should have written this gentleman's name down. I think it was, uh, I want to say Craig and Matt, but, but they were so good. So one of the pros got me a set of clubs built me a driver, gave me his hybrid. Like it was just, it couldn't have been nicer. So my, yeah. we were, and we're texting with David's girlfriend. He, they arrive and they're on the range and where that, what you're going to see, it's only about a 90 second video. So my brother and I are driving up in a cart. My older brother has just hit a shot and he's warming up and he, so he's got his back turned to us. We get out of the cart and I walk up quietly. And while he's still looking down where his ball went, I said, Hey, would you guys mind if we join you? And he turns around and he sees my other brother and I, and he's just, he's just confused. <laughs> it's like he's, he just doesn't know what to think. He's like, what? And then he starts to cry a little bit, Aww, knowing, because, so well, you know, and, and then he says to his girlfriend, did you know about this? And we're all laughing like, no, no, she had no idea. And then we, we have some more on that video. You'll hear on the video, like we're all laughing and, and we give him a hug and then, and then he kind of says, so are you going to play with us today? We're like, yes, dude. <laughs> that's, that's why we're here. Or no, he said, is this our foursome? We're like, yes, this is the foursome. Because he thought he's playing with somebody else. And, uh, and my favorite part of it is, so as soon as we stop the video, literally, he's surprised. He has a bit of a teary moment. And then he says to me, hey, I've been changing my grip. So we're, <laughs> he's like, we're right back into golf. Like it, it happened exactly. in the blink of an eye. Literally within seconds, he's like, "Hey, you want to look at my swing?" I'm like, "All right, I guess we're here." But it was uh, it was a great weekend. Oh, that's beautiful. No, yeah. I sorry, I didn't look at that. Well, but that's um, why I was. I thought, "Can you said to me, did you tear up?" And and you saw my response. I I literally was sitting. Oh yes, yes, I did because because that was yeah. It was because my brother as soon as the. U.S. Open was over. My brother sent me a thing. He says, you can stop crying now or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I get it. knew I'd be bawling. The, the thing is, I was on the plane. So I'm there in the airport watching the U.S. Open on my computer. And then I get on the plane. You know how they always say, okay, I've turned your phones to airplane mode. I was literally checking the score. This is the truth. Right up until, because I, you know, I'm the pilot. Uh, right up until I was doing that. I, I kept, because I kept refreshing, refreshing. And I was on, um, I can't remember some site where they did the shot by shot. So the last thing I saw was Fitzpatrick hit his ball in the bunker. I'm like, oh, this could be a playoff. Because I was, to tr- truth is, I was cheering for Will Zalatoris. Because uh, he's a decade guy. He's the, right. he's the guy that responsible for the name decade. That's what he you know famously said to Fawcett. And Fawcett, by the way, is on our show next week, so he'll tell that story. But And then they started to take off. I'm like, oh, no. I had no idea till I landed if he'd won or not. Oh, my. Um, maybe as a pilot, could you explain to me and our great listeners why you can't have your phone going? with the play? Are you interrupting? Like, Are you going to make the plane... Po- crash or you're going to interrupt their communications with the tower what is the reason uh you're going to be disappointed with the answer uh i don't a hundred percent know because my buddy dave best friend dave and i who flew together for years we always had our cell phones in the plane you know what i mean like we had it on all the time i think to i think you're that is the point if you had 120 people Mm. with their cell phones on it potentially might interrupt something that might be crucial to the, you know, to the flight. So I think as a precaution, they just have us all turn it off. But I kept mine on till the very last second, and I didn't know. 
Um, and that's why when I saw your note and I responded by saying, damn, I didn't even see yeah, it until timing. I got home. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. that's interesting timing yeah. of, uh, of those things. Yeah. So I'll, uh, as soon as our show's over today, I'll take a look at that. Um, yeah, that sounds that sounds wonderful. Yeah, and that was you know great. I don't know just to me. So there it is. I mean, golf and family and and that's always one of the most wonderful things about the competition uh, in golf is it's there's yeah it's romantic yeah um, you want to see people overcome adversity you know you, you know the story of of. Uh, men and women, you know, couch surfing and, and sharing rooms with caddies and, and how tough it is. And, and then they finally scratch their way up. <clears throat> That's compelling stuff. Yeah. And if someone slid an envelope over to me saying, well, I couldn't tell you whether I would take it and run with the money. I just couldn't. Yeah. But well, I can understand it, but there... I just think that um, it, it, it goes back to, I think, you know, when we had Judson Brewer on um, talking about, you know, where does, where does happiness come from? To me, inside job completely is. You can have all the money in the world and, you know, you don't have, there's so many dead celebrities who yeah. had so much money. Anyways. I think what these guys have done, and again, I, I can tell you unequivocally, I would take the money. I just would. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I don't know. Having never had, like, Brooks Koepka is already worth probably 50 or $60 million. Uh, Dustin Johnson worth already over $100 million. Uh, Phil Mickelson's a whole other story. Like, some of the things I've been hearing oh, exactly. about the, the depths of debts. his, yeah. yeah. He might have actually needed the money. But that aside... What you said, the, the, it takes some of the romanticism, some of the history and the legacy and the significance. Like, to me, winning the Canadian Open, there's a legacy attached to it that wouldn't be there for, say, the Portland Invitational. Not that, that, not that there won't be some... Again, I'm a golf fan. I watch some of it. It's cool seeing guys hit great golf shots. But when you... Absinthe of a meaning... I think a lot is lost. And oh, I think, and I, um, I just yeah, want to say, I was just finished by saying, I yeah. think what these guys have done is they've traded in their future legacies for this money. Again, I can't say I wouldn't do it either, but as a fan, to me, that's what they're doing. Yeah, and I don't know that they give a damn about legacy. Well, maybe yeah. not now. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe, maybe in the future they will. But just, you know, what, what really drives us through life... What a great story that Dick Zockel told on episode 200 about, you know, being there. What was it? The 88 Canadian Open. And he's, you know, on the on the first hole of the final round in the I think he was in the lead. And that's all about being the first Canadian to win the Canadian Open in 50, 60, 70 years, or at least since Pat Fletcher. Zero to do with the money. Absolutely zero. Yeah, there's, a, a, you know, but like anything else, when <clears throat> back to my thing a couple of weeks ago, whenever we started talking about this, <clears throat> excuse me, um, disruption is never easy for people. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, all of us have a, you know, a paradigm that's about to be shifted or is in the middle of a shift. It's uncomfortable, makes people feel weird. 
And uh, right away you have a reaction. You did a visceral reaction. This is no good. Uh, my reaction was different, but my reaction is now based on thinking about it for a few weeks, mm-hmm. which is why I... And again, you know, we could get into their ranking points. I think what these guys don't realize, I mean, I guess maybe they're banking that either the European tour becomes part of this. Uh, I guarantee you when they start to examine, like the official World Golf Ranking Board is not going to be handing out points to 54-hole no-cut tournaments, which is why I think that's going to change. But uh, in the end, it's just never easy. Change is never easy. That's why it's no, hard. Absolutely. And, and I do think that the PGA Tour, in many ways, is quite, can be quite boring. I mean, I seriously don't watch a lot of PGA Tour golf other than, than uh, well, I should say the majors, and none of those are PGA Tour events. Um, but I'll watch snippets of Memorial and the players and that kind of stuff. But the overwhelming majority of events, I don't watch. John Deere, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I don't watch it. Well, I... I'd like to say neither do I, but I watch all of it. <laughs> I, you know, I, but, but my, you I think my point. level of nerddom, now that I just realized, my level of nerddom might be a, a couple of rungs, you know, but I, I don't have it. I don't you have you it. don't need might. It is. It's, a da- <laughs> it's data. But I don't, it's data. I don't have it. I don't have anything else. <laughs> Before, but, but no, but, but as weeks he said, it's always, it's four rounds over and over again, metal play over and over and over again. So disruption is yeah. is is a good thing. It can be. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it can be. Um, all right. Well, there we are. That's episode 202. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Go check him out. I'm, of course, Golf Spiritual Leader. Has a day job on the Humble and Fred Show. Uh, once again, thanks to uh, JW Apparel, Inc., uh, NeuroPeak Pro, I had a problem with my Intel uh, belt. Got it all fixed up. I missed a couple of days of training. I, I, I will say this, though, just quickly about the precision breathing. Um, I don't know if it's coincidence or, like, my good play of late. I've just had round after round where I sort of felt a nice equanimity. I have felt like, yeah, I've hit some bad shots. They didn't really bug me too much. I've hit some good shots. They didn't elevate me too much. Um, I think there's something to it. And I, I just, because uh, I've had a, people, a few people ask me, like, is it real? I'm like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like the more I do it, the more settled I seem to be while I'm playing. And I'm still a nut the rest of the time. But Yeah, well, I, I find it, um, I, th- I have such a greater awareness of the role that my breathing plays in yeah. simmering me down, keeping me, you know, I might have, let, let's say, you know, I had a putt that I left, say, two and a half feet short, and I'm waiting for the other guys to clean it up. And I might be aware that I'm feeling like, oh, what if I miss it? What? Or <laughs> so I'll just I'll just start to look around and I'll I'll breathe. And it's the same with different situations. If I if I start to feel a little bit of jitteriness or something, I'll focus on my breathing. And I what I found through using the the app is that it's now breathing is much more of a of a physical experience rather than just observe it I can actually feel my self expand as yeah. the air goes in and I'm just much more present to it I uh, also want to mention uh, TaylorMade of course the uh, TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls trusted by players like Dustin Johnson McElroy Morikawa Henderson Humble and Tim 
<laughs> to learn more about the latest TaylorMade products, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. All right. Until uh, next time, everyone. Uh, stay well, safe, and healthy. And uh, we will see you uh, next week. Full report on the Saugine two-man invitational. Once O'Connor and I figure out where we're going, it's going to be fantastic. And we have Fawcett on next week? Fawcett is next week, exactly. Wow, that is cool. And we'll see you next time. Meantime, sound of the river, you're stopping your whole everything. <laughs>